12.08. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. On this final day of 2018. Wow. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner to navigate it with you. So I mentioned this on Friday that I would ponder over the weekend. Did I want to do a year in review, uh, top stories of the year, that sort of thing? I decided no for a couple of reasons. One, as I suspected, my lazy gene kicked in, and I, I just did not have the really the time, but I will confess also, nor the inclination to construct one of those over the weekend. Two, however, there is just so much other stuff to talk about. And I understand that it is customary and it's probably human nature to focus on looking back at the last year, this past year, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's that's fine. Yet, there's just so much on the plate that's more forward-looking that I decided to go that route. Let me tell you, there is one thing we are going to look back on. We're going to do this at 108, and that is yesterday's debacle at Lambeau. So I had mentioned to you last week that I would be there as a guest of the in-laws, and I thank them greatly. Uh, hey, uh, tickets a tickets a ticket. We left at halftime. I can only think of one, maybe one other time that I've left at halftime. Now, I have left early. I won't deny that. But at halftime, I can only think of one other occasion, and it was weather-related. It was another, I think, and I could be wrong on this, non-consequential game with the Detroit Lions. And we just, I, I not we, I. I actually had, this is going to be really embarrassing to say out loud. I had a sideline pass. And it was so cold, I'd, I bailed. The game just wasn't, and I couldn't even hazard a guess at what year that is. Somewhere, I don't know, between 2001 and 2004 would be about the best that I could do for you there. Something like that. So, we left. And what I want to ask at 108 is this. So they just kind of mention it in passing. Did the Journal Sentinel in their story shortly after the game yesterday online was, is it possible the Packers tanked this game with draft position in mind? No, but. I don't believe that. It makes no sense to believe that. I'll tip my hand on that right now, because they went and fought like heck in an equally meaningless game on the road in New York and won in overtime. Now, clearly, Aaron Rodgers suffering the concussion, I believe, on the second offensive play of the game where his helmet got ripped off. Uh, that's huge. Deshaun Kaiser, not impressive, but still 31 to nothing. So I do have an observation about the team from being there, from being in the stadium. I will share that with you, and we'll get your thoughts on that after 1 o'clock. Here, though, is where we are going to start. So the new year always brings with it new laws. Uh, not in every state necessarily, and I don't know if there are any really interesting ones in Wisconsin. Sometimes federal laws. There is a law that takes effect with the start of the new year in California. This is an emotional uh, 
topic for a lot of people, for just about anyone who loves animals. It's an emotional issue, but particularly dogs. This doesn't impact just dogs. But allow me to set this up, and then I want to get your thoughts on this. I think we all know what we mean when, or when we hear the word, or the phrase, I guess I should say, the term puppy mill. It's a place that breeds a lot of puppies and not under great conditions. Here's the short story from a Fox affiliate, Fox 59 in Sacramento, California. Capital, of course. In a few days, California will become the first state to ban the retail sale of dogs, cats, and rabbits from pet stores in an effort to crack down on puppy mills. I would argue that that lead is just slightly incomplete. Not necessarily misleading, but incomplete. With AB 485 signed back in October, the state hopes the bill will help keep animals that were produced in mass breeding facilities, also known as puppy mills, out of the state. Starting on Jan 1, the California pet shops will only be allowed to offer dogs, cats, and rabbits from local shelters and rescues. So stores, pet stores, will be able to sell, but they can't be purchased from places that raise them. They have to be rescue animals from shelters. So the goal is to essentially stop the, the business of breeding these animals to sell them. Jazz Shaw, writing at hotair.com, is where I found this. And he has, I want to just share some of his thoughts because he has some experience and insight on this. I do not. There are, he writes, clearly some very good intentions behind this bill, but it's problematic on a couple of levels. I'll begin, he says, by saying that the puppy mill industry is simply awful. And animal welfare officers in most states never seem to have the resources to keep track of them and crack down on the abusers. But when I used to volunteer, a volunteer with a humane society shelter on a regular basis, he writes, we worked with animal control and saw some of the horror shows they encountered. We adopted one dog some years ago who had been rescued from a puppy mill and he was really messed up for life. With all of that said, And as much as my more emotional side wants to cheer this new California law, it creates new problems while attempting to solve old ones. First of all, this only applies to retail sales. Puppy mills frequently market their dogs directly to people looking for particular breeds. This makes it tougher to operate a large-scale puppy mill, but still allows them to conduct business. Interesting point. Also, not all breeders are running puppy mills, as the term is generally understood. Some are conscientious pet owners who avoid excessive inbreeding, take good care of their animals, and find them suitable homes, though for a profit, of course. A law like this hits the good breeders as well as the monstrous puppy mill operators. Sure, I would love to see all of the shelters empty before people start buying designer dogs, but some folks just prefer particular breeds and are willing to pay a premium for them. That brings us back to the small government conservatism argument. California is effectively tamping down what otherwise is a perfectly legal business. Is that truly state government's job? Perhaps it might have been better to invest more heavily in animal control operations across the state and vastly stiffen the penalties for running inhumane puppy mills. And if they're in the mood to spend money, they could consider subsidizing the shelters so the donation costs for adoptions aren't as high. So he makes some interesting 
arguments and counter-arguments. In researching this, I learned that in 2009, Wisconsin beefed up its law where dog breeders and sellers are concerned. I'll talk about that and take some of your calls straight ahead on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. News Radio WTMJ. 1218 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. The final day of 2018. That means a new law in California. And uh, if you're just joining us, uh, a quick recap. This is a different version from CNN. California pet stores soon will be allowed to sell dogs, cats, and rabbits only if they come from shelters or nonprofit rescues. Under legislation going into effect tomorrow, store operators also will have to be able to provide records of origin for the animals or face a $500 penalty. The Pet Rescue Adoption Act was introduced by Assemblymember Patrick O'Donnell, signed by the Governor Jerry Brown. Under the law, individuals are still allowed, that's individuals, this is where it gets interesting, still allowed to buy from private breeders. Stores cannot. And I, I read a piece from Jazz Shaw where he he sees that as an issue. However, in a press release issued back when it was signed, O'Donnell touted the law as an end to puppy mills and kitten factories. California, first state in the country to pass such a law. In a competitive world, the demands uh, O'Donnell called the law a big win for our four-legged friends and also for taxpayers who spent more than $250 million a year to house and euthanize shelter animals. The act specifies that pet store operators can sell dogs, cats, and rabbits only from a public control agency, animal agency, or shelter, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animal Shelter, Humane Society Shelter, or Rescue Group, in cooperation with an animal shelter. So retail pet stores would no longer be able to purchase animals from breeders, but individuals could. In Wisconsin... Back in 2009, and I didn't know this until I did some research, Wisconsin beefed up the law on this. Wisconsin's law regulating dog breeding sales and adoption for fee requires inspection and licensing of many dog breeders, dealers, and sellers, as well as shelters and rescues that foster and adopt out dogs. The law also prohibits selling puppies less than seven weeks old, unless they go with their mothers, and requires that certificates of veterinary inspection, health certificates accompany dogs, that are sold or adopted for a fee. The intent is is to protect the welfare of dogs and to protect consumers who buy or adopt them. So under, and again, I believe this was beefed up in 2009, those who need a license, dog breeders selling at least 25 dogs a year from more than three litters that have been bred, dog breeding facilities, and so on, so on, so on. So those are the ones who need a license in Wisconsin. So licensure is, is, and then there are restrictions but these sales are allowed. Now, let me say this. I am sure that you have seen the ads on television. These poor animals that are just in wretched condition from what are called puppy mills. In other words, places that just mass produce a lot of dogs, a lot of puppies. And I know other animals are involved in the California law, but... To go apples to apples here, I want to focus in on dogs. I think puppy mills are horrific. I think they're absolutely terrible. Jazz Shaw's point is that this probably will impact breeders who otherwise are conscientious 
and do a good job. And that's where he, he points to the small government conservative argument on this. Um, on the other hand, he actually volunteered in a shelter, and he saw the horrible conditions that these dogs from puppy mills are in. I think they're horrible. And I support a law that would make it almost impossible. On the other hand, and I am willing to be corrected on this, I'm not saying I know, on the other hand, I, if you look at other states emulating this law, this is California only, and I'm asking this, how big of a problem are puppy mills in Wisconsin? Or does the regulations, do the regulations rather, that are now in place, that were beefed up in 2009, are those pretty much keeping puppy mills from thriving in Wisconsin, and are most of the breeders with the licensing regulation and so on, are they responsible? Because what Shaw is saying is that there's probably too much law here, that there would be a way to make sure puppy mills don't thrive in California without harming what he considers to be reputable breeders when some people do want, quote-unquote, a designer dog, a specific breed. I think he makes an interesting point. And I'm wondering if Wisconsin and other states that have regulation and licensing, if they have done an effective job in keeping puppy mills in check and that they're not a serious problem. I don't know. In the last uh, 11 years, we have owned two dogs. Both were rescues from the shelter in Green Bay. So I, I honestly don't know. Again, I'm, I'm asking. I'm sure there are puppy mills in Wisconsin. But is this too much law, or does it need to be this type of, of I don't know if zero tolerance is the right word, because breeders can still sell to individuals, just not to retail outlets. What say you? 414 799 one six twenty to Michael in Sheboygan. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. <clears throat> um, you know, hey, I, I'm looking at it from perspective of we just had in Sheboygan County uh, individuals who ran a puppy mill, um, and it was horrific. Uh, some of the scenes and some of the dogs that were taken from there um, because it was shut down by the the sheriffs raided it, and there were dogs stuffed in freezers that were not running and it was just rotting carcasses it's absolutely horrific what these people think of these dogs as just products um and they're living breathing animals that they may not you know be as intelligent as we are but we still need to show them dignity um and it certainly isn't happening at puppy mills uh, so I just quick Googled, and I can't find anything on this. When did this uh, puppy mill in Waldo, when did that happen? Uh, they just got sentenced like two weeks, or not two weeks ago, two or three months ago. Um, if you look on Sheboygan Press, they do have a lot of... Okay. Rachel Trutrol or something like that. It's Christy Trutrol. They ran a... Uh, it was basically Golden Doodles, um, and there's a lot of dogs. So just look on Sheboygan Press, and you will find that many articles on it because it's been a problem for many uh, years now that finally was unfortunately resolved with the 
death of a lot of dogs and rotting carcasses and a problem for our our community because these dogs were being put into homes and they weren't healthy. Um, and so, those Michael, dogs, Michael, do you, Michael, do you support the California law then? I do, I do, um, and I, I understand right. your concerns with the with the private uh, breeders and whatever. But that's so that if somebody really wants to have a, a purebred German Shepherd, they can have a purebred German Shepherd. But you know what? They don't. Hi, right, Michael. Thanks a lot for the call. I got, I got to let you run there. We're really tight on time, but I appreciate the good call. Uh, we will get to Holly and West Bend in just two minutes. Twelve twenty-seven. News Radio WTMJ. Twelve twenty-nine. News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. California passes a law kicks in tomorrow. Essentially bans retail sale of puppies unless they're from a shelter, not from a, a breeder that sells them. Does Wisconsin need that law? Holly in West Bend. Holly, go ahead. Hey there. Um, I think Wisconsin definitely needs this law. Even though the um, law was passed in 2009, we still have a big puppy mill problem in Wisconsin. There's just ways around it. And like every other government agency, they don't have enough staff to properly enforce the law. All right. Holly, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. I did, a couple of minutes ago, find the story uh, to which the previous caller was referring from Sheboygan County, actually the town of Wilson. I'll share that, and uh, we'll take a few more calls. If you think Wisconsin also should have a similar ban on, on retail sales of puppies that are bred for profit. Twelve thirty-five News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner after one o'clock. Did the Packers tank yesterday's game, or did they just give up, or is there something else going on? We'll see what you think. What's going on right now? Conversation about puppy mills. California a law kicks in tomorrow, which essentially the effort is to to just make it impossible for puppy mills to do business by requiring all retail pet stores to get the animals they sell from rescue dogs, from shelters, and so on. During this conversation, and if you want to get in just one more segment on this, so get in right now, 414-799-1620. I'm asking, and I'm conceding, I do not have the answer. I'm asking, do you think Wisconsin needs the California law or a similar law? Are puppy mills still a serious problem here? Two callers thus far have said yes. One of them pointed me to a story out of Sheboygan County. I, somehow, either I forgot this or it escaped my notice. It started in 2017, ended with a sentencing in October. And it's uh, from the town of Wilson in Sheboygan County. A Sheboygan County woman convicted in an animal mistreatment case, and this is from Fox 6 story back in October, was sentenced to eight years of probation with the first year spent in jail. This summer, a jury found 39-year-old Christy Tuchel, if I've got that name right, guilty of more than 25 animal abuse-related offenses, as well as causing mental harm to a child. One of her children, apparently, that she made tend to the animals. Those on both sides of the case spent hours during the afternoon sentencing in October, rehashing years of family drama and forcing the judge to have to steer the court back to the criminal case in front of them. It was an emotional and at times heated sentencing hearing. It's a bunch of bulls, said Theo Tuchel, Christie's father. 
Tuchel's father was removed from the courtroom while speaking on behalf of his daughter. You're not here to challenge the jury's verdict, said the judge. Tuchel was found guilty by a jury of knowingly depriving her dogs of food and proper care in June of 2017. Sheriff's deputies found three dozen dogs, uh, dog corpses on her town of Wilson property and another three dozen live dogs suffering from malnutrition and disease. She had run a kennel in 2014, but her license had been revoked. When you have no money, no job at all, it's very hard for a person to stay on track with everything they're doing. So she lost her license to to have the kennel, but apparently was allowed to keep the dogs. Now, I don't, and again, I'm not going to pretend to understand how that works. Here's what I am wondering, though, and, and this brings me back to the California law. Jazz Shaw, writing at HotAir.com, said he felt, and he worked at a, at a rescue shelter where they saw these puppy mill dogs. He understands how horrible puppy mills are. But he said, look, there are conscientious breeders who do a good job. And basically, the California law doesn't allow them to sell to pet store or retail outlets either. You can still sell to individuals, but it's going to be much harder for anyone, even a reputable breeder, to stay in business. I don't know. I don't know entirely how I feel about the California law, but my suspicion is that there was a serious puppy mill problem and that they had to do something. And perhaps felt that more stringent uh, licensing, regulation, and inspection wasn't going to solve the problem. It's possible that this is more law than was necessary, but I don't know. I am very curious about the case in Sheboygan County, that she lost her license, yet sometime later still had uh, all the dogs. Oh, I, I'm not, yeah, and I'm, and I'm getting texts on this. Uh, my sister is on the board of a boxer rescue. The condition of these poor animals coming from 99% of the mills is horrendous. Well, I would argue uh, what we define as a puppy mill, it's probably from 100% of the mills, and that's the problem. But not all private breeders are puppy mills, is the argument that Jazz Shaw is making. I absolutely agree, though, on puppy mills. And it breaks my heart. I mean, I just, you know, I am the ultimate dog person. And dogs spot me as a dog person Almost immediately. I mean, in a crowd of people, oh, look at the dog. They, dogs just gravitate to me. They, they just sense it right away. They always have. And not a lot makes me as a grown man cry, but when animals are treated that way, it's horrible. I simply don't follow this enough to know if Wisconsin needs, if this would be a sledgehammer to kill a fly. I truly don't know. All right. A bunch of stuff coming up in, uh, well, certainly after 1 o'clock. The Packers, and I've got to tell you, there is a show. It's, I don't even know if you can call it a show. If you're on Netflix and you have not found Bandersnatch, this is Welcome to the 21st Century. This is an interactive show where at various junctures during the show, with your mouse at the ready, you get to pick where the plot goes. 
It's fascinating. I'm going to talk about what this means for the future. And if you've not heard of deep fakes, this is the scary side of the 21st century. We'll take those both in the next hour. We're also going to be talking after 2 o'clock about uh, what we can expect from Madison in 2019. We have just an absolute ton of stuff to get to. Uh, we will, however, pick up at least just just briefly. I, I know uh, Dimitri spent a lot of time on this, filling in for Steve this morning on not so much the shutdown per se, but the cause of it, the wall. We'll talk just a little bit about both in the next few minutes. 1242 News Radio WTMJ. 1245 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. If you're not aware, I actually live uh, in the Green Bay area. And when last I saw the storm that's moving through, we are looking at three to five inches of snow, maybe heavier. It was kind of funny. We were, my wife and I were watching it on TV news last night. And it's a little hard to tell exactly in the Green Bay area. It looks like probably three to five, maybe closer to five, and then closer to the lakeshore, Manitowoc, and so on. At least last night they were saying heavier amounts. Lighter amounts to the northwest of the Green Bay area. And, of course, for like three days now, my wife has been telling me, Hey, you need to get the snow thrower ready. Hey, you need to get the snow thrower ready. I did not get the snow thrower ready. It's not going to take a lot. I just need to get it started. And it's had a flat tire for like five years now that I just pump up every time there's snow. Well, it holds it holds air long enough for me to get the driveway and everything done. That's really enough. Isn't it? I know. I should get it fixed, fixed one of these days. It just, it works out just fine. But that's what we are, at least at last check, up in this part of the state uh, where I live, that is, that's kind of where, what we're expecting. Speaking of expecting things, this from the Washington Post. Democrats have settled on a strategy for attempting to reopen the government when they take control of the House Thursday, aimed at ending the partial shutdown quickly, but denying President Trump the new money he wants for a border wall. Democrats plan to pass a stopgap spending bill to fund the Homeland Security Department through February 8th. That's stopgap. The bill would extend the existing $1.3 billion spending level on border fencing and other security measures, far short of the $5 billion the president has sought to build new walls along the U.S.-Mexico border. But unless Trump retreats on his demands, it is unlikely that House passage of the legislation will move Washington much closer to ending the partial shutdown that's already dragged on for more than a week and sent hundreds of thousands of federal workers home on furlough. So the House can now, with Democrats, they can pass what they want in the House of Representatives. Still, however, of course, Republicans maintain control in the Senate, where that bill will go exactly nowhere. A spokesman for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said today, the Senate would only bring up legislation that has Trump's blessings. So in other words, let the House pass whatever they want. McConnell apparently, no, I'm going to do whatever the President wants. And we are not bringing that bill to the Senate floor. So that's it. McConnell has put his chips in the same pile as President Trump's. Uh, And with the talks at a standstill for days, Trump himself remained bunkered in the White House Monday, tweeting out demands for Democrats to accede to his wishes. 
I'm in the Oval Office. Democrats, come back from vacation now and give us the votes necessary for border security, including the wall, Trump wrote. The White House had no immediate comment Monday on the House Democrats' plan. So here's what would happen, the Democrats' approach. The House would also pass a package of six other spending bills to fund an array of federal agencies that have been shuttered since December 22nd, including Interior, Ag, Commerce, and Justice. Workers at those agencies and others are facing the possibility of missing paychecks depending on how long the shutdown lasts. Those six spending bills would be passed through September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. Remember, Homeland Security would just be till February 8th. That level is embraced on a bipartisan basis in the Senate, an approach aimed at pressuring the Senate to go along. In other words, look, we've, we separated this out. You can go ahead and get this stuff going again. The stopgap bill the House plans to pass, uh, funding Homeland Security Department February 8th, takes a similar approach to a short-term spending bill the Senate passed the week before Christmas, only to watch Trump renounce it the very next day. McConnell, who will remain in control of the Senate, even as the House flips to Democratic control, does not want to put his members in that position again. It's simple. The Senate is not going to send something to the president that he won't sign, Don Stewart, McConnell's spokesman, wrote in an email Monday. Now, there's some debate, even among conservative circles. Do Republicans need to consider cutting their losses and cutting ways with President Trump on this, and putting this bill on his desk. Fine, you go ahead and veto it. If he does that, goes the theory, Republicans are then pretty much washing their hands of this, and it's all on President Trump. And then there's no way that he wouldn't have ownership of it, because Republicans would have bailed on him. Republicans will never do that because they fear with their political lives the Trump base. So they're not, they're not going to do that. There's no way, no how are they going to do that. So nothing is going to end anytime soon, and this thing is going to start taking its toll. President Trump predicted it was going to be a long shutdown. It is going to be a long shutdown. Now, when I took this up last week, what most callers said was everybody loses or on and on and on. The wall needs to get built. This uh, President Trump has no leverage here. He gave up that leverage when he took ownership of a shutdown in that meeting with Schumer and Pelosi. Perhaps he has forgotten that. Perhaps his base has forgotten that. But the American public at large has not. He owns this thing. And as it starts taking a reality toll, it also starts taking a political toll. But this is going to start having an effect. The belief that shutting down 25% of the government is no big deal, if it's shut down long enough, it becomes a big deal. Democrats, as far as I can see, are holding the cards here. And they certainly seem to see that. And, and President Trump's attempt to blame them, if you look at several public opinion polls, has failed badly. To me, the question here is ultimately Mitch McConnell and Republicans in the Senate. How long do they go on this ride? Or at what point do they decide, you know what, 
you we're going to put it on your desk and you do what you're going to do for the moment they're just too afraid to do that we will see how long that lasts 1252 news radio wtmj 1255 news radio wtmj jerry in for jeff so i have a question so i listened to the last hour of dimitri's show and I have no idea how many, filling in for Steve, I have no idea how many times he said the wall. The wall, the wall, the wall, the wall, the wall. So I have a question. Every time a talk show host says the wall or a TV commentator says the wall during this period, does Pink Floyd get a royalty? Well, I don't know. Is it like Super Bowl? Like, did I just get in trouble for saying Super Bowl? Are you aware of that? I mean, you have to be so careful. That thing is, well, I, I don't know. And why hasn't somebody pulled out that song and used it for or against it? I'm, I'm just saying. Not my favorite Pink Floyd album, by the way. It has grown on me over the years. You realize that album is almost 40? It is. I think it is 40 years old. It will be. I want to say it's 1979, Pink Floyd's The Wall. I'm just, you know, I wonder about these things, but I'm sure I'm the only one that does, <clears throat> so we'll move on. Uh... I mentioned the snow earlier, and I hope I've got this right. It didn't show up on the story that I printed, but I believe this is from today's TMJ4. I hope I have that right. Uh, A piece about how snow removal companies, those who plow snow, remove snow, are really hurting in southeast Wisconsin because there has been no snow. And, you know, they factor in. Usually they're into landscaping and other things, too, but, you know, they don't just do snow. Nobody can really survive on that year-round. But those that that's what they do with their trucks and, and, and what have you in in the winter, they haven't seen snow. And by now, they're way behind in how much snow they would have removed. It's pretty much the same thing up in my part of the state. And I look, I, anytime someone, you know, and ski operators and other things, you know, when winter's not winter in Wisconsin, there are all sorts of businesses that suffer. And I certainly am not unsympathetic to that. I'm not. But I really like there not being snow. I wish we had had a dusting of snow in the area where I live for Christmas. We did not. It came like a day or so later. But not for Christmas Eve. I really, just that nice little dusting for Christmas Eve. But it did not materialize. Otherwise, uh, you know, we have a dog. And I've been able to keep up with, you know, her visits to the backyard. But if you get six inches of snow or so, that gets a little difficult. And then, hey. So the longer the snow stays off, the less messy my spring is. Yes, I know. That's completely selfish. I'm just throwing it out there. All right, coming up, a lot of topics to get to in the next hour. But I do want to start with the Green Bay Packers. And there's just a lot of questions to ask. And most of them spring from a Journal Sentinel article published online shortly after the game concluded, including just the suggestion, the notion that the Packers may have intentionally tanked it. Does this mean the whole coaching staff should be gone, including Pettin on defense? What about Aaron Rodgers and his future, Randall Cobb and his future? Are the Packers reloading or rebuilding? Is this the first legitimate start over for the Green Bay Packers in a couple of generations. We're going to get your calls on whatever part of that you want to take a swing at. Coming up after the news. 1259 News Radio WTMJ. 
This is a completely serious question. Anyone know how to cook pig tongue? 109. I mean it, really. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Jerry in for Jeff. This is the truth. We do. So my wife and I have friends who raise cattle and pig and pork. And we got a half a cow. We were supposed to get a whole pig. There was a little confusion. So we got a half a good-sized pig and a whole small pig. So we ended up with two tongues, two pig tongues, one much larger, one much smaller. We would have beef tongue when I was a kid. My dad, we would get it from the butcher when we butchered a cow, but we always gave it to my aunt. My mom didn't prepare it. I, what, they're kind of weird. You know, I'm, <laughs> I got to do something with them because I'm moving them around in the freezer to get stuff. And I keep those, those, they're they're a little creepy. They're frozen, you know, and you can, and it's also kind of sad because you can see how small the small pig was compared to the big pig's tongue. I I have no idea what to do. I don't know. It's like, I don't even, I'm not sure. We could have said no. I'm not sure why we even agreed to take the tongues. Anyway, enough of that. I, I, Suppose if you actually know your way around cooking a pig, I have no idea what to do with it, though. None whatsoever. I I will tell you that um, our friends really know how to raise beef and pigs. I mean, it's it's very different, very different having, and it's all grass-fed, and it's all really good. Anyway, enough of that. Yesterday, and I had mentioned I was going to be at Lambeau Field, and I, in fact was at Lambeau Field for one half. And I don't know that I've ever done this before. By the way, pressure cooker. I got a text. Dave in West Bend. Just cook it in a pressure cooker. Really? We have one. We have one of those newfangled electronic ones. I'll have to give it a try. So the in-laws have tickets. So that's my daughter, her husband, and his dad. And they invited me along. Uh, okay, fine. It was actually a great day weather-wise at Lambeau Field for, for December 30th. Oh, get out of town. It was really, really a nice day to be at Lambeau Field for the 16th game of the season. I mean, it, it, there, no disputing that. I cannot quantify this. I, I can't describe this. But I just felt something was off. From the minute we took our seats and when the teams came out, I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to describe it. But the atmosphere felt, I don't know if it was the team, if it was the crowd, it was crowd's reaction to the team, or quite frankly, if it was my imagination. Could have been my imagination. I don't know. But something fell off. So the game gets started. And even, you know, I understand, I think we know now that Aaron Rodgers suffered the concussion very, very early in the game. But just everything, it's like, they felt like they were mailing it in. So in a recap of the game that the Journal Sentinel posted shortly after the game, they run through these, you know, their top five things or whatever they call them. Aaron Rodgers' season ends early. Devontae Adams' season ends even earlier. He didn't get a chance 
to, to get out there. He was 134-yard shy of Jordy Nelson's record. Instead, a knee injury that prevented him from practicing last week also kept him inactive Sunday. And then, you know, big hole in Packers offense with him missing. Then they have this bullet point, and this is the one I want to focus in on with you. Tanking season. The Packers would never admit to tanking intentionally, and just last week showed a surprising amount of fight. Yet their season-ending loss came with some april wrap benefits. At worst, a Packers loss meant they would pick 14th in this spring's draft, with California thumping a New Orleans team that did not play Drew Brees. That slid the Packers up to 13th. So, and with other things going on, could have been as high as 10. I'm not sure where that all shook out, to be honest with you. I don't believe that they intentionally tanked that game. That makes absolutely zero, 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 zero sense. None. Here's why. If they're going to do that, well, first, as the Journal Sentinel pointed out, why fight like heck to take an overtime win from the Jets? That doesn't make any sense. Why didn't they lose that game in the game before and the game before? If they were going to tank and they are looking at the draft board in spring, then don't you tank all four games? Or is the counter-argument to that, well, that would be too suspicious. Well, okay, but to fight like heck on the road and then to come home and intentionally lie down for the Detroit Lions, I don't believe that. And I have to be honest, I think what I believe is actually worse. I believe they just gave up. I, I, they looked like they were sleepwalking. And all four of us looked at each other at halftime when it was 21 to nothing. We were like, we're done. Because they're done. There are other things we can be doing. And we did. We all left. A lot of people left at halftime. I think the team gave up. I don't think they intentionally tanked. I just think emotionally they were gone. And as a result of the performance, I also agree with the writer of the Journal Sentinel. And I liked Pettin. I really did. I think everybody has to be gone. After that disaster, which was worse than the Cardinals game, they've got, they, they, I agree, they need to start over. And in fact, they may be rebuilding. To Jim in the Heartland. Jim, hi, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I think what the Packers have proven is unequivocally is they cannot win with Aaron Rodgers. Unfortunately, they gave him this long extension, but I trade Aaron Rodgers for a defense any day. I don't see the Packers with Rodgers' contract competing for the playoffs. Uh, Oops, we lost Jim there. Not sure what happened, but Jim just kind of faded away on us all together. But so I will address. Sorry about that, Jim. We have no idea what happened. But I will address his point that they can't win with Aaron Rodgers, and it's time to trade Rodgers away. I disagree with a yeah, but I disagree. Okay, clearly he played most of the bit of the game that he did play. He played with a concussion, so I'm not going to hold his performance against him of yesterday. But I am wondering what the 2019 Aaron Rodgers will look like. Oh, okay, Kevin, I will respond to that. What's the difference between giving up and intentionally tanking? Okay, you're right. Giving up might not be... uh, Let me flesh that out. When I say give up, Kevin, I mean emotionally give up. 
that they didn't go out intending to lose, but they didn't come with what they needed to win. And that's not parsing. But I, I get your point. When I say they gave up, not on purpose, they didn't intentionally not play well enough to win. That would be tanking. They didn't bring the emotion, the passion, or the preparation necessary to win. They may have thought that they did. But they didn't. What I'm saying, Kevin, and it's a fair point on your part, what I'm saying is, did they come to Lambeau Field with the intention of losing the game? No. Kevin replies, fair. You're a good man, Kevin. Uh, if you if you would like to weigh in, you can do that as well. Uh, I have a few more things to say about the Packers, but uh, I, I just... I think at this point, I, I don't believe they, they were looking at the board in spring. I just think they didn't bring what it took to win, and because I, I think they really may be starting from square one. 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 118, News Radio WTMJ. One twenty News Radio WTMJ. Focusing in on one aspect of the Packers, the, the very brief notion mentioned by the Journal Sentinel that the Packers may have intentionally tanked yesterday's game to improve their draft pick. Quite frankly, for having a bad season, uh, I mean, if you're going to do that, then I would like to see you go like, well, I wouldn't like you, but I'd like the team to go 4-12 and or 5-11, and but that's almost, uh, I mean, to get a decent pick, that's almost what you're looking at. And quite frankly, the Packers... Being winners for most of the last 25 years is what has made it increasingly difficult to build through the draft that catches up with you ultimately. And this is going to be one of their most important drafts ever. That said, I don't believe that they went in with, well, you know what, we've got nothing to play for, so we are just, we'll, we'll play for that draft pick. I don't think it was intentional, and that, I think, is quite honestly... Huh. In some twisted ways, I would feel better if I thought it was intentional. That they could play that bad while trying to perform, which is what I think happened. When the fake field goal worked for a touchdown, I mean, I saw that team. I, that was, the game for them ended right there. And, and really, quite frankly... For the fans too, they just because I even said something to uh, to my daughter. It's like, hey, really, fourth and one or two, whatever it was, this deep, and they're not going for it. Something isn't right here, and the Packers weren't at all prepared for that. Here's another element. Before we move on to something else, here's another element. I have been saying this for several years now. Packer fans under, oh, 50 years old are spoiled rotten. They are just spoiled rotten. And if you, okay, 1992, 25 years ago, if you were 25, so, okay, let's say you were 20. I would say fans under 45. I'll change that just a little bit. But anyone much younger than that truly cannot appreciate 
what the 1970s and 80s were like and how good we as Packer fans have had it for the last now, uh, you know, if you go back to 1992, 26 years. And that is in large part due to two Hall of Fame, a Hall of Fame and a future Hall of Fame quarterback, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Those don't just happen, you know. Green Bay is blessed beyond all reason, Green Bay fans, to have that level of quarterbacking for the past quarter century. Now, it's going to end sometime. I don't think it's ended. I, I do, I will say this. I believe the spate of injuries in recent years have caught up with Aaron Rodgers psychologically. And I know I'm just psychobabbling here on the radio, and I'm not disputing that. But, you know, you see him take the fetal position sooner than ever rather than escape. And I, and I get it, and I understand. And I don't think a concussion is going to help in, on that front, which also leads into the question of whether he should have been playing anyway. So I, I have to be honest. I, 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 we could be in for a legitimate rebuild. On the other hand, if Rodgers comes back and he's looking pretty good, and, and look, he's going to have weapons, young rookie receivers this year who are giving the indication of uh, that they're going to be very good. Yeah, I just, I, I think they've got that. They've got the young running backs. They need to rebuild the offensive line. I, if Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers, it's a reload and not a rebuild. I disagree with the caller who said trade Aaron Rodgers. I said, no. I mean, you're not going to get a whole defense for him. And what are you going to do at quarterback? And by the way, they do need to start thinking about drafting with an eye toward replacing Aaron Rodgers in the long term. They do need to do that. All right, completely different direction in the next half hour. I'll give you an idea of what it is in two minutes. 125 News Radio WTMJ. One twenty-eight News Radio WTMJ. So I have two pieces of advice on what to do with pig tongue. One says pressure cooker, the other one says just boil it. Well, okay, do you season it or anything? What does it taste like, and is that worth my effort? I was, oh, ah, there's, there's so much other of the pig, you know, that's good. That I don't know. I need to be sold on that. I have a pair of them in the freezer in the next half hour. All right, so I'm 57 years old. It's a child of the 60s, came of age in the 70s. I dreamed of the 21st century through my entire childhood. I, I did. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't going to be the Jetsonians version, flying cars and conveyor belts and all that. I knew that. But I what would it be? What would it look like? Well, I did think it was going to involve a lot of space travel. And, and, you know, all transportation, transportation, because that's where we were. Well, it hasn't. It's information. It's you staying where you are and things coming to you. And you as the consumer having more and more control over that. 
This is going to lead me to two stories that tell us it's the 21st century. One is a TV show, sort of. It's on Netflix. It's called Bandersnatch. And I'll just say right now, if you've happened to have watched it, I would love to hear. I don't know how many people have found it and have gone. You don't watch it, you do it, which I'm going to explain. That's the first half of knowing that we're, uh, the future has arrived. I am actually in the future as, if, as though I've arrived here in Doc Brown's DeLorean. It's an amazing experience. I'll tell you about it. And then the dark side of the future. Deep fakes. If you don't know what deep fakes are, particularly if you're a woman, you need to. And this truly, it's the dark side of the web, it's the dark side of the future, it's the dark side of technology. One thirty-five. News Radio WTMJ, Jerry Bader and for Jeff Wagner. Hi, this is going to be a very different topic. Now, I just found out producer Kyle did this as well. Let me go take a step back here. Netflix, and and I don't know how many people in the listening audience right now subscribe to Netflix. Netflix, of course, the, the streaming service, and a relatively inexpensive one. I... That's probably what most of my screen time is these days. Uh, I just finished Travelers Season 3. That's a time travel sort of sort of show. And uh, I'll watch the occasional old Twilight Zone rerun, that sort of thing. It's just kind of cool having that control. There is a show on Netflix called Black Mirror. <sighs> well, I don't know. It's a little hard to describe. I guess I would describe it as the 21st century Twilight Zone. I, I, I think... And I do think that the creator has said that, that there is certain inspiration, at least certain episodes, from Twilight Zone episodes. I had not caught any of this buzz. And over the holidays, my adult kids said, Bandersnatch, Dad, Bandersnatch. Oh, man, you've got to check out Bandersnatch. Huh? What? Didn't know it's, it's, it's Black Mirror, but it's not. And they're trying to explain it to me. If you know what I'm talking about, and uh, I said Kyle and I were matching notes on this, I don't want to give away too much. Although, Kyle, it's kind of hard to spoil the ending on this, isn't it? Because, <laughs> because it's yeah, I mean it, it's different. Kyle's done it twice, and I will explain it. But to me, this is the best of the future. A little later in the half hour, I'm going to bring up what I think is the worst of the future. But if you have stumbled upon this and you have any feedback on it. 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If, if anyone else besides Kyle has stumbled on this, and me. So let me tell you how this works. One of the things that's happening more and more and more and more in media is, I think it was Elvin Toffler who called it the prosumer. The consumer that would actually produce that which some of which he or she consumes. What you have going on more and more is where the consumer can impact to a degree the nature of the product. Almost instantaneous feedback. Interactive. Now, interactive on some levels have been around, but it could be going on decades now. Commercial TV has tried it. Others have tried it. Pick the ending and all of that. 
This is amazing. This is just amazing. Now, you have to watch it on a device where you have a mouse or click pad, something like that. I tried to cast it to Chromecast. It would not allow me to do that because I I did not have them the tools at my disposal. So here's what happens. Almost from the beginning, you are given choices. So what happens is Stefan, the protagonist, is choosing breakfast cereal. You get to choose his breakfast cereal. You get to choose one of two cassette tapes he's going to play, one of two albums he's going to buy. And then you get... Uh, much more difficult decisions. This took so long that the next season of Black Mirror has been delayed because of the development and production of this thing. And that's what's mind-boggling. I mean, I, you know, as a kid who grew up watching black and white television until he was like 12 years old, I'm serious, and had three stations to choose from in the Green Bay TV market and than the public television station. This this is like arriving in the future in a time machine that I can sit there with my laptop and I can dictate. Now there is, I don't... Alright, I'm going to give away, this is a mild spoiler alert, but again, the plot changes with every decision you make, so it's pretty hard to spoil this. The version that I I did... You have a choice to tell the guy that he's being watched on Netflix from the early 21st century. Oh, my goodness! And then he responds, and it's 1984. Isn't that interesting, Kyle? The year is 1984. Everyone's wondering why they've said it in 1984. That just just occurred to me. Orwell, 1984. And Big Brother is watching from Netflix in the future. I just... I'm telling you, if you have Netflix and you have the patience, this is, it's just brilliant. Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Hello, sir. Good day to you. Happy New Year. Um, Happy New Year. It it was good. Uh, I'm 44 years old, so I grew up in Waukesha. Um, Choose Your Own Adventure books were my thing absolutely loved them uh i love this and this is it bit of work um it'll get work in the future things will be uh even better but this is like the beginning and i love the black mirror the whole thing um the only thing that that i just wanted to comment about uh is the the thing i noticed is it isn't 100 percent choose your own adventure like the books were when you were a kid because no. if you make the wrong choice, it makes you go back. Yeah. So if you choose the wrong choice, you have to go back to what the producers or the director want you to go to. So you, you don't actually get 100% choose your own adventure, but it's pretty close. And so. I, yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this, Robert. Do you think. Yeah. And I, I just this is the most simplistic way I can put this. Do you think this will catch on? Do you think we'll see more and more and more of this? Well, like for for instance, when I was younger, the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Now those appealed to a certain type of person, a certain group. So if mm. there are enough of those people out there, then yes, it will. But um, like I wondered, 
am I an oddball? Am I an outlier? You know, am I, but why were there so many choose your own adventure books out there? It had to resonate. It had to be something that a large group of people were into. And so for this, I think the same thing. I think the 40 somethings, um, maybe the 30 somethings, the 50 somethings for, for all of those people out there, I think, yes, uh, they, they got some work to do on it, but I do think that it's going to resonate. I do think that, uh, we're looking for something tangible, some, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it'll stick, I, but this is the, the beginning, you know, this is the, yeah. uh, just we're, we're getting into it now, you know, I'm not asking to I, smell I, the popcorn on, uh, on my phone. You know uh, what I mean? Like, that yeah. kind of stuff. But but this, yes, absolutely. This is awesome. Robert, thanks a lot for the call. I, I just I agree with everything Robert just said. And I know it's hard to wrap your head around this if you haven't seen it or experienced it. But he's right. We are just getting started. The technology is going to get better and better and better for doing these interactive type of things. One of the the criticism that I would I would put to it, and this is what I told my wife. I don't think she would like it. And I'm going to touch base with Kyle on this in a couple of minutes. It got extremely redundant for me. Uh, At least the way I played it. And it's playing it. It's not watching it. I I think, Kyle, you'd agree with that. You play this thing like a game. And that's kind of the concept. I don't want to give away too much, though. Uh, It's almost, I thought, a little too brilliant by about half. But it's a tremendous i think it's groundbreaking and consider this could you do simulated sports this way okay think of think of what madden nfl is now imagine if you've seen this or you can understand the way we are describing it imagine having a simulated game where you call the plays and you pick the players who go in and everything else and in fact could you use old nfl footage to do that I, I don't know. I think the sky's the limit, and I think I, we just can't even imagine what's next. By the way, I, I know there have been interactive entertainment forms, but I, I think this is something completely different, and it, it's brilliant. But I also agree, I think it's just the beginning. All right, that's the upside of the future. Sadly, there's a downside, or perhaps more appropriately, the dark side. I'm going to share that with you, too, in a couple of minutes and see if you have any thoughts on what we can do about it. 145 News Radio WTMJ. One forty-eight News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. So we were talking about Bandersnatch, which I think represents the best of the future, potentially. Now, there are a lot of different things that I may not find as entertaining or appropriate that you could do with this, as a previous caller put it, choose-your-own-adventure technology, which it kind of is. Kyle was telling me that there are like between 10 and a dozen potential endings to this thing based on the choices you make. My kid apparently spent six hours doing this. I didn't really keep track. When you go to Netflix and do this, Bandersnatch, there's no runtime. And, and, you know, anything that can be used can be abused, and I understand that. But I think in terms of 
the future of entertainment, I think this type of choose as you go, you're going to see grow, but it won't be for everyone. I said, I don't. I, I recommend it to my wife. I don't think you're going to enjoy this. So. There's one half of the future, and that's where I started this whole segment, started this hour, saying, and I was a kid, I, I didn't expect flying cars, I didn't expect more transportation stuff, I didn't know what the future would look like. But this type of thing feels like the 21st century to me. So does this one, but this is scary. And I want to set this up, and I want to see if anyone has any thoughts on how we deal with this after 2 o'clock. Deep fake. If you are not aware of what deep fake is, now there have been fake images on the internet for a long time, and some are pretty convincing. Now you're getting into deep fake videos of various nature where you're not going to be able to trust what you believe, or believe what you see, rather, trust what you see, trust what you believe. Well, I suppose, I, I suppose in a weird way, my misspeak did work. Not going to be able to trust your eyes. Allow me to just read a bit from Drew Harwell's story in the Washington Post. The video showed the woman in a pink off-the-shoulder top sitting on a bed, smiling a convincing smile. It was her face. But it had been seamlessly grafted without her knowledge or consent onto someone else's body a young pornography actress just beginning to disrobe for the start of a graphic sex scene. A crowd of unknown users had been passing it around online. Let me stop there. So this woman is watching this. It's a porn scene with her face on the woman engaging in the pornographic scene. Seamless. In other words, those sharing it around they, there's no way for them to know because this technology is so amazing. There is no way for the, for the users to know it's not her. She's seeing this, and it's her face. She felt nauseous and mortified. What if her coworkers saw it, her family, her friends? Would it change how they thought of her? Would they believe it was a fake? All great questions. I feel violated, this icky kind of violation, said the woman. She's in her 40s, spoke on the condition of anonymity because she worried the video could hurt her marriage or career. It's this weird feeling, like you want to tear everything off the Internet. But you know you can't. Airbrushing and Photoshop long ago opened photos to easy manipulation. Now, videos are becoming just as vulnerable to fakes that look deceptively real supercharged by powerful and widely available artificial intelligence software developed by Google, these lifelike deep fake videos have quickly multiplied across the Internet, blurring the line between truth and lie. Let me stop there. In this story, the Washington Post had side-by-side an actual speech by President Barack Obama and a fake. If they didn't say which was the fake, I never would have known. It wasn't President Obama at all. It was a complete reproduction. The post goes on. But the videos have also weaponized disproportionately against women, representing a new and degrading means of humiliation, harassment, and abuse. The fakes are explicitly detailed, 
posted on popular porn sites and increasingly challenging to detect. So in other words, and here's how this works with the software. All they have to do is harvest, say it's a spurned boyfriend, harvest a bunch of pictures off of social media, feed it into the software, and it will seamlessly graph this woman's face onto a porn scene. This is about as chilling as anything I've heard in a long time. The legality has yet to be tested in court. Experts say they may be protected by the First Amendment, even though they might also qualify as defamation, identity theft, or fraud. Disturbingly realistic fakes have been made with the faces of both celebrities and women who don't live in the spotlight. And the actress Scarlett Johansson says she was... Johansson says it was a matter of time before any one person is targeted by a lured forgery. Johansson has been superimposed into dozens of graphic sex scenes over the past year that have circulated across the web. One video falsely described as real leaked footage has been watched on major porn sites more than 1.5 million times. Okay, she's famous. This is happening to women who aren't. What can we do about it? I'm going to get your thoughts in a little bit. 154 News Radio WTMJ. One fifty-seven, Jerry in for Jeff. We're talking about deep fakes, and I want to get your thoughts on this after the news. There are a lot of different nefarious uses for this, but the one the Washington Post is focusing in on that technology exists to take social media pictures of a woman, graft her face onto a pornographic scene, and share it on the web. And women are being victimized by this. One, a famous actress who said, no one can stop some, nothing can stop someone from cutting and pasting my image or anyone else's onto a different body and making it look as eerily realistic as desired. The fact is that trying to protect yourself from the Internet and its depravity is basically a lost cause. The Internet is a vast wormhole of darkness that eats itself. Now, in September, Google did add involuntary synthetic pornographic imagery to its ban list, allowing anyone to request the search engine block results that falsely depict them as nude or in a sexually explicit situation. But, uh, okay, you have to find it, you have to hear about it, and how many people will have seen it before you do? A growing number of deep fakes target women far from the public eye, with anonymous users on deepfakes, discussion boards, and private chats calling them co-workers, classmates, and friends. Several users who make videos by request said there's even a going rate, about $20 per fake. It's like an assault. The sense of power, the control, said Adam Dodge, legal director of Laura's House, a domestic violence shelter in California. What can women do about it? This is going to bump into the First Amendment. I'm going to be pretty blunt about this. There needs to be a law. The law, I think, needs, law and ethics needs to catch up with the technology on this because I think it puts women at risk. Look at your thoughts on this. I've got a lot of things to get to yet before 3 o'clock, but particularly women. If you have any thoughts on this, we'll take calls after the news. 159 News Radio WTMJ. Eight, third and final hour of the Jeff Wagnerless show. 
Jeff back in 2019, which, of course, is <laughs> tomorrow, later in the week. Uh, final show of 2018 for me, Jerry Bader, sitting in for Jeff. And uh, <sighs> this is a difficult topic, I understand. But I want to stay on this for one more segment. And if you have any thoughts on this, 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just joining us, allow me to recap quickly. Now, here's an element I want to insert as I recap. Here's what's happened in the last, well, let's just go with 10 years. It might be a little longer than that, but 10 years. In the YouTube cell phone video age of the last decade and change, maybe, there has become a reality. And the reality is this. Reality is not reality if it's not video recorded. When there's an allegation made, and this is why we are seeing the living while black videos and the police videos. If you can't show video, if you make an allegation and you can't show video, nobody believes you anymore. Where's the video? Where's the video? Where's the video? They just, people expect that if you're going to accuse someone of something, your accusation will be accompanied by video. We have become so reliant on the nearly omnipresent video of citizen journalists, if you will, those of us with smartphones and almost everybody these days, and video cameras that are embedded within them. And if you say something about someone, and if you do not have the accompanying video, nobody believes you. So here's what makes what we are talking about now really tough and really difficult is we have become reliant on that video to tell us what reality is. And we've seen this, where officers aren't truthful about what happened in a shooting. And then we see the video. It's become the ultimate proof in the pudding. So now you have this technology, and it's been around for a while, but it's getting better and better, where you can alter video. And it's not all, you know, in the last 10, 15 minutes, I've been talking about people who use it to put women's face into pornographic scenes, which I, I understand the one person from the domestic abuse organization in California said it's really like an assault. You're essentially vicariously assaulting that woman. You have the same control, the same degrading control, the same demeaning, humiliating, embarrassing control as an actual assault because a whole lot of people can watch it but as the post points out not all fake videos targeting women rely on pornography for shock value or political points this spring a doctored video showed the parkland school shooting survivor emma gonzalez ripping up the u.s constitution conservative activists shared the video as supposed proof of her un-american treachery in reality the video showed her ripping up paper targets from a shooting range. But, again, the technology is so good, nobody could know that. But deepfakes use in porn has skyrocketed. One creator on the discussion board, 8chan, made an explicit four-minute deepfake featuring the face of a young German blogger who posts videos about makeup. Thousands of her images of her face have been extracted from a hair tutorial she recorded in 2014. Now, sites are banning these. But you, you know what that's like. That's like killing a cockroach at a time and think you're solving the problem. I almost, 
Never argue for more regulation, more laws. But I think there's a reality here. I think, at least in this country, the only way that you're going to cope with this is to pass laws that make it a crime, a serious crime, to digitally alter someone's image without their consent. Now, we can build parameters around that. Exactly what that means, what is somebody's image, what is altering it, but particularly for video purposes. Because besides what it does to the victim here, we're entering a whole new alternate reality where we're not going to know what to believe. And we've been lured into this, as I said, by relying on video to tell us what is real, what we can believe. I think this is far more dangerous than many people realize. One, because the possibilities are limitless, and two, very few people know about this. Things are shared online all the time. And again, it could, you could recreate a speech where Donald Trump is saying whatever the creator wants, and you will never know it's not real. Or Barack Obama, or a Democratic candidate for president, or a Republican U.S. Senate, anybody, anybody, me, you, you admitting to a crime based on the photos that you have on social media. This, this is such a huge threat. I don't know any other way than to deal with this with laws. I, I just don't. I'm certainly open to ideas. If you have any thoughts on that, call in right now. We're on to other things in a few minutes. 414-799-1620. 214 News Radio WTMJ. Two seventeen News Radio WTMJ. Kyle, I have not one but two recipes for pork tongue. Boy, you you have gotta you gotta give it up for WTMJ listeners. I do. I have on our text right here, I have two recipes. Honey, if you're listening, jot this down. Actually I can retrieve them for you. Uh let's see. Pour two cartons of chicken broth into a sauce pot. Sauce pot. Add a bay leaf and a quarter cup apple cider vinegar. Add pork tongue. Simmer for two hours. Remove and cool. Important. Peel the outermost layer of the tongue. Slice and saute in bacon fat and throw into a corn or flour tortilla. Top with a favorite uh, pico and squeeze of lime. Enjoy, Arthur. Well, that sounds like it can make almost anything. Even a pig's tongue tastes good. Dave suggests seasoned tongue with salt and pepper and flake with flour uh, in pan uh, heat. Uh, his instructions are way too shorthand for me. Anyway, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. He's got all sorts of stuff. Pork gravy, uh, yeah, garlic cloves. I don't know. Or we could just give them to someone else. We could do that, too. All right. I want to mention this briefly. Uh, we're moving on from the previous topic. The AP has what I think is a pretty good piece previewing, I think it was Scott Bauer at the Associated Press. I think it's a pretty good piece previewing what Madison is likely to look like in 2019 under shared or split governance. 
Republicans, of course, still have both houses of the legislature. Democrat Governor-elect Tony Evers, of course, will have the governor's mansion. So what does that look like? Here's the way Bauer opens the piece. Wisconsin's new legislative session begins January 7th, with Democrats still seething over a Republican lame duck session that weakened incoming Democratic Governor Tony Evers' powers. How much is still being debated? I just, I was very critical of how Republicans handled that. With divided control for the first time in a decade, there's fear that partisan gridlock and infighting among Republicans who control the Senate and Assembly may produce few meaningful compromises with Evers. Now, let's just take one example. Republicans, so here's, there's one bill where the governor can impress, imprint his or her imprimatur on, on legislation or really introduce a bill. That's the state budget. Republicans are saying they are probably going to ignore Evers' budget and just work on their own. They'll produce their own budget, pass their own budget, and send it to Evers. Let me tell you what I think is right and wrong about that. First, what I think is wrong about it is saying they will ignore Evers. I think Republicans would do well to avoid the perception and the reality that they're going to pretend that they're still a Republican in the governor's mansion, that they're going to ignore Tony Evers. Here's why I say that. I remember what happened when Newt Gingrich and congressional Republicans thought they were going to do that to Bill Clinton after the revolution of 1994, the Republican revolution. When that didn't work out for them, they ended up compromising with Clinton quite a bit. Here's what I would say. What if rather than saying they're going to ignore, okay, what if they sell that this way? By the way, I think this would be a good idea for Republicans and Democrats to do even when rules are reversed. So Evers is going to introduce a budget. It's going to be almost literally 180 degrees from what Governor Scott Walker has done. So Republicans are saying, nah, we're going to skip that one and we'll do our own. That's, that's what we'll do. What I would do is this. Governor Evers unveils his budget just the way Governor Walker has for nearly a decade, eight years. And Republicans unveil theirs. And they make the case, here's why we're doing it our way. Here's why we're not doing it Tony Evers' way. Here's what Tony Evers wants. Here's why we don't think it's good for Wisconsin. Here's what we want. Here's what we think, more importantly, Wisconsin wants. There, I think the competing vision thing can actually be done in a non-confrontational way. Let voters see both. And Republicans can then say, all right, you saw the governor's, here's ours, here's why we are passing ours and sending it to the governor. We're not touching his. Tony Evers can then go to the voters of Wisconsin, hey, this was my budget, and they didn't touch it. And voters can take a look and see if they, if a majority of voters agree with Republicans, 
more or less, I mean, I guess ignoring, but not taking up Evers' budget and just passing their own. Evers can attempt to sell his budget and portray Republicans, look, here's what I wanted to do, which would have been much better for Wisconsin. I must tell you, I just don't think this is a bad idea at all. I don't think it has to be done quite the way Republicans are saying, though. Let Evers introduce his budget. Let him go through all the pop and pomp and circumstance that always happens with a gubernatorial budget. And I could, I could envision a time, not anytime soon the way things are in Wisconsin, but where the rules are reversed, where Democrats have both houses and there's a Republican governor. I, just, I, I don't see it anytime soon. But I would say the same thing then. I think the competing vision thing is not necessarily a bad thing. Because if Republicans are wrong, and this is and I think Democrats could look at it this way. If Republicans are wrong, if they pass a budget and then all Evers can do is veto what he can veto or I suppose well, he could veto the whole thing, he could do that. He could in fact do that. Say no, you're going to pass my budget. But I think during this process, both sides could get an education on on where is Wisconsin right now. If Republicans are confident, I think when you look at the track record of where the state has gone, certainly on a lot of things that have been done under the Walker administration with the Republican legislature, they have a lot of victories to point to. Do that. Say, look, this is why we're ignoring Tony. Governor Evers. So we're doing our thing. And Evers makes his case. And he vetoes that budget. Uh, it's, now, is it going to be pretty? No. But I actually think there could be a silver lining here in these competing visions. 225 News Radio WTMJ. 227 News Radio WTMJ. I think. Two minutes or so is long enough to discuss this. I know very little about it other than what I've read online. I haven't even really seen anything on television. The new movie that's out, Holmes and Watson, Will Ferrell, apparently one of the great bombs, perhaps the biggest movie bomb so far of the 21st century. People are walking out for a while on Rotten Tomatoes. It had a zero rating. And now has about 9%. Apparently, it is just the dumbest, dumbest comedy in a long, long time. And it's just horrifically bad. And people are actually leaving. Two thoughts on that. They're walking out. Two thoughts on this. One, and I, this I did read in an article. There ha- when's the last time there's been a great comedy? I mean, a really four out of five star killer comedy. That just had people talking and buzzing. Drama seems to rule at the box office right now. I mean, the real, I, I'm not saying there haven't been some decent, successful comedies, but just the, the, the killer, the big, big, big one, really hasn't been in a long time. But specific to this movie, which apparently is atrociously bad, and up there with Ishtar and some of the other great disasters of all time, I just have a question. Where was the focus groups 
where were the focus groups? I, I, I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding, I don't know much about it at all, but my understanding is that movies are focus grouped to death and endings are changed based on what focus audience, test audiences say about them. What happened here? And they didn't, pre, they didn't let critics preview it until it was in general release, and now we know why. It's a disaster. How can a studio spend, what was it, $45 million I saw on something like this, and not have any type of insurance policy that way? It reminds me of a great Jimmy Stewart line. This movie wasn't released. It escaped. <laughs> 235 News Radio WTMJ. Jerry in for Jeff. I mentioned this earlier, but with the Bucks really atop the NBA right now, at least this juncture of the season, and obviously they are an elite team in the NBA this season. This is my take. I live in northeast Wisconsin. When this happened with the Brewers this summer, uh, September, when the Brewers just got it going, I mean, you could tell the Brewer fever swept Wisconsin. The Packers struggling didn't hurt, that's for sure. But you are... uh, you know, you certainly saw, you, you saw a lot of people wearing Brewer stuff in Northeast Wisconsin, Green Bay, the Fox Valley, the area from which I hail, Green Bay area. Uh, you saw it. I can tell you that buzz is not anywhere near come close so far with the Bucks. Just now, I truthfully, I don't think the NBA has quite the footprint that the MLB does. That MLB does, but. You would think here at some point, college hoops is huge in northeast Wisconsin, just like it is most of the rest of the state. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm paying attention, uh, at least in the standings every day. I'm just wondering if it's going to get buzzy statewide. We'll see. I only want to spend about two minutes on this because I teased... A couple of moments ago that I'm going to end the show on a high note to end 2018. I didn't do a year in in review or anything like that. But I do want, I, I want to, I want to bring you something uplifting and talk about the perfect New Year's resolution. I don't care what it is you want to change about yourself. I have the perfect New Year's resolution coming up. Is that bold or what? Well, how do you know it's right for me? I guarantee it's right for you. You can't, you don't know. Yes, I can. I guarantee that I have the perfect New Year's resolution for you. Indisputable. We'll get to that before the uh, end of the show at 3 o'clock. Because I want to end on that uplifting high note, I want to spend just, as I said, maybe two minutes on this. There are two more high-profile stories that have come to be categorized under living while black. One in New York City. Upper East Side apartment building, where a white man who has been nicknamed Hallway Harry berating a black man. You don't live here. You don't live here. Yeah, he does. Now, however, it should also be reported, and it is in the New York Times, the Hallway Harry treated a white couple the same way after he treated 29-year-old Chica Okafor that way. So, Harry, whatever his real name is, could just be a jerk. But there's that. Then there's one that seems more obviously racist across 
the country and the West Coast. The Doubletree Hotel in Portland, Oregon, fired two workers, I believe it was yesterday, who were involved in calling police on a black man who was a guest in the hotel. Jermaine Massey was talking to his mother on his cell phone in the lobby December 22nd when he was approached by security guard Earl Myers. Myers claimed he was causing a disturbance. Uh, Massey showed his, you know, his little card that's his key. For, Look, dude, I'm staying here. Not anymore, you're not. And I thought, well, are there going to be some type of mitigating circumstances where this isn't as bad as it looks? None surfaced. And as I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But I think... At some point, we are going to have to try to answer the question on this that I've asked and others have asked. Is this happening more often, or have African Americans been putting up with this, but now with the opportunity to video record it, we are seeing more of it? I don't know the answer to that. As a white guy, it's impossible for me to know the answer to that. What I would say is this. I am astounded at how people are brazen enough, white people, to continue acting this way when there has been video after video after video after video after video after video. Particularly this uh, Earl Myers at the Doubletree in Portland, which is, I believe, a Hilton property. What are you doing? And you see the guy video recording you. You know, the guy in New York, I don't give a... If this ends up on YouTube. Yeah, what about now? And that their indefensible behavior isn't curbed by knowing they're being recorded. In the one case, the woman who said the, the young man grabbed her backside, which was nonsense, and when she saw the surveillance video, she apologized. But it's just... The, the, the chutzpah, I don't know what else to call it, that people continue to do this. All right, as I said, and I will keep my promise, we're going to end the Jeff Wagner List Show on an upbeat note for 2018 and hope for 2019. It comes from Twitter and Cinderella. And not necessarily in that order. 241 News Radio WTMJ. Two forty four News Radio WTMJ. Well, as twenty eighteen comes to a close, I want to take a point of personal privilege. Twenty eighteen has been a great year for my wife and me. Those who know me personally, what? You lost your full time radio. It wasn't a full time. You lost your day to day radio job. It wasn't my full time job, and I was perfectly at peace with that. Besides, that happened in February. There were so many upsides, so many positive things in our personal lives that, I mean, I need, I, seriously, I need to write a list. We saw Switzerland and Austria. Man, if you've never seen the Swiss Alps. We have a lot of changes going on in our faith life that's going to lead to really a new season for us. But we also met a couple of new people, and more than a couple. But we met some new people. In particular, one of them has become, well, they've both become friends, the two people I'm thinking of. But, and she said, no, you can name me. It's all right, so I will. Kristen Karnitz 
You can find her at, on Twitter at Kristen Karnitz, K A R N I T Z, Kristen Two Eyes. By the way, my spell check hates her name, Kristen. Just hates it. This, that was once an E to be there. Anyway, um, or my voice to text. My vo- when I voice to text, it's always Kristen with an E. Anyway, uh, she does Twitter right, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But one of the things she did right on Twitter was share a fantabulous video. Kyle has the audio of it prepared, and I'll play it, and then I'll explain what I think is so powerful about this. Kyle, go ahead. Five-year-old Layla Lester loves to play princesses. No, I talk to Cinderella. In fact, nothing delights her more. (laughs) So imagine the joy when Layla, who is autistic, saw one of her favorite characters come to life. I just heard Layla run away from me screaming, Cinderella, Cinderella. As if she'd spotted Cinderella. Mm -hmm. She definitely believed it was Cinderella. Layla's mom, Jessica, says the woman her daughter now believes to be Cinderella is actually a heavy equipment operator from western New York named Olivia Spark. Layla came to this conclusion after spotting Olivia here at Akron Falls Park on her wedding day. Layla made a beeline. Like, Layla, don't bother them. Like, they're in the middle of a photo shoot. Like, please. You're used to chasing Layla around, mm-hmm. apologizing for her. Absolutely. And that meant a lot that I didn't need to apologize for her. Olivia not only welcomed Layla, she played along. I was more than happy to be Cinderella for that little girl. She talked to Layla for quite a while before finally telling her she had to get back to the ball. But that's not the end of this fairy tale. Since their chance meeting, Cinderella has stayed in touch with her little princess Charming, making Layla the happiest royal subject in the kingdom. Hello. Hi, Cinderella. Hi. Come inside. Olivia came over on this day in her wedding dress and at our request, but they see each other all the time now. Come in, come in, come in. It's an instant bond. They love each other. It's cute. I'm so glad you're here. Jessica says normally, Layla won't even talk to strangers. Where's your slippers? My slippers, I took them off. But she has clearly made an exception for Cinderella, who, as it turns out, also has a little bit of fairy godmother in her. (laughs) Olivia and her family have started a GoFundMe to send Layla to meet more princesses at Disney World. It is such a kind gesture. Layla now isn't the only one who sees Cinderella here. You believe in her? Yeah, I do. She's the epitome of a true princess. She's kind, she's sweet, she went out of her way to make Layla's day special, and who would do that other than a princess? I guess they don't all wear glass slippers. Bye, guys. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Akron, New York. Bye, see you soon. What an amazing story. Now, let me tell you why I shared that with you. Particularly in the faith community, but in general, we hear of planned acts of kindness and random acts of kindness. I would submit that was a spontaneous act of kindness. Think of the bridezilla stereotype that has been generated on television and that sort of thing. And how many young brides would have responded the way she did and take time with that little girl versus it's my wedding to get that kid out of here. I'm sorry, but some people would have reacted that way. That was a spontaneous act of kindness because that's the way that woman is wired. That's obviously who she is. 
she does good first, I, I'm convinced of this, and thinks later. Now, for me, that's a faith goal. But whether you're a person of faith or not, it's a laudable goal to have it as your first instinct to look around and help. Let me give you an example recently of where I whiffed on this and another woman, and a woman, not another woman, a woman didn't. I was in a restaurant in Green Bay. It's the kind where you stand in line and get your order, then you take a number and you go to your table, right? It was an unusually long line at lunch. And this woman, who had been at this restaurant, obviously, many times before, she was near the front of the line, right? And she looks back and realizes, you know what? A lot of people maybe are here for the first time, and they have menus you know, in a little thing right there where you can grab. So she grabs a fistful of menus. She turns around and says, how many of you have never been here before? And all sorts of people raise their hand, and she, well, here, this will help you when it's time to order, so you don't have to look up and wonder. Okay, that's a spontaneous, I saw her look around. That woman looks around for people to help. I pray for that to become more and more second nature for me. Whether she knew it or not, that's what Kristen did when she tweeted this out. And I tweeted to Kristen, I responded to Kristen, imagine if everyone used Twitter like this. What would the world look like? Kristen uses Twitter like that all the time. I would encourage you to follow her, at Kristen Carnitz. I will tell you, if you're a conservative, you're not going to agree with everything she tweets. We're friends. We don't agree on everything. There are a lot of things we don't agree on. But that's the point, and that's what she and I both agree should happen that you should be able to be civil, get along, my gosh, even be friends, without agreeing, without demonizing, without vilifying. Yeah, I know, I made a radio career out of that. You don't have to change, however, what you believe to change the way you act, behave, and treat others. And Kristen is someone who does that. While I encourage, and she uses Twitter to do that. Whatever your political persuasion, even if you think you might disagree with her, she tweets great stuff all the time. And I thank her for tweeting that. That will dovetail me into the perfect New Year's resolution for anybody and everybody in a couple of minutes. I will also find out what's coming up after 3. 252 News Radio WTMJ.